Anyone excited about Christmas? It's kind of nice listening to the Christmas songs, isn't it? Getting a little feel, a, a little bit of preparation as we get ready for Jesus to be born. And I was having a conversation with Sylvie actually this morning just briefly about remembering that he came so insignificantly. And yet many would come and worship. And sometimes we forget that over Christmas. How important that relationship is and how important the small little child named Jesus would change the world. And yet we get preoccupied with so many other things. One of those things is relationships, right? Relationships are kind of tricky, is what I would say. Um, and as I think through some of the relationships I've had with family and with friends, girlfriends, well, really not that many girlfriends. <laughs> there weren't that many, honestly. There just weren't. Um, some of you have seen my pictures from back in the past. Not that it's improved, but it just back in the past. Co-workers, you know, I could go on and on, the many relationships. In fact, I, I look at some of these relationships, and if some of you have Facebook accounts, uh, 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 what was that? <laughs> Facebook accounts or LinkedIn accounts or anything like that, you start accumulating many relationships. And some of those, you may not even remember how you met. Some of them, you may be thinking, was that at that one place or was that at another place? Um, but some of those relationships, I know one thing, and that's that they're no longer peaceful. Does anyone have some of those? Now, I know that in those relationships that are no longer peaceful, I know that I was the problem, at least part of it. Maybe some of you can relate, right? You know, those relationships where you know you were the problem, and then you like to put a little bit more, like, at least part of it. And it can go two ways. Two ways, either I was the problem because I was too prideful or too insecure to admit that I was wrong or misguided or hurtful. Or I was thought to be the problem because the word that I was given from the Lord was not received. Now, it's hard to always distinguish, are you on one side or the other? But oftentimes, it's because whether you are the one that doesn't want to sit in peace, or perhaps the person you're approaching would choose chaos over peace. They would rather have the absence of peace than instead choose the truth. But any of these things, when they occur, they're hard, right? And I think they're kind of tricky. If you know that you were wrong, sometimes you'd rather retreat than come back to that person in repentance. Have you ever had that? You know you're wrong, and you, instead of going to that person saying, so I was wrong, you have to admit it first, right? That's the first step. Then you have to actually say, 
um, it wasn't their fault that you were wrong. It was yours, so you confess. And then the next thing that you do is that you say, and would you forgive me? Those words can be hard to say because then all of a sudden you're moving into this area that the world does not often step into, and that's reconcile. Which means you want to start again. Now, I believe it becomes even more difficult when this relationship that you are approaching is one where you're trying to impress or receive approval from that person. Boy, that can be hard, right? Your insecurities will not allow you to trust that this relationship, when you ask for repentance or forgiveness, will actually give it. You're too insecure to trust that you may receive what you're actually asking for. The other side is when it is broken, you're too prideful. And so you approach it as a, maybe they'll forget. If I just move on, maybe they'll just forget. I'll act as if nothing happened. Both places leave you in a place of an absence of peace. If you're the prideful one, you know what you've done. And you're just fooling yourself. You start to believe the lie you tell yourself, that everything's okay. If you're the insecure one, relationships are hard. Because you're always trying to help the person like you. Instead of trusting that maybe they'll dislike you. Maybe they'll just forgive you. Maybe they have more grace than revenge in their heart. So instead of trusting the person will accept your failure, your weakness, and restore you in your pride, you may also just say, I don't want to look weak. I know I've been there. You mess up as a leader. If you are placed in a leadership position, oftentimes you don't necessarily want to admit when you're wrong. I know none of you have had that with me. <laughs> Kenner. <laughs> but it's easy to start to think that you created your place of leadership instead of the Lord giving it to you. And as easily as he has given it to you, he can take it away. But you think you have to somehow show no form of weakness, which means everything you say has to be right. Everything you do has to be right. You can have no flaw. Well, that can make it difficult when you need to go seek forgiveness. So have you guys done any of these? Awesome. I'm glad I'm not alone. See, when we raise our hand, you guys think I'm just forcing participation, which is what I'm doing. 
But I'm also allowing you to say, you know what, we are not alone. We're not alone, guys. People see our weaknesses. People see that we need forgiveness just as much as the other person. I do think that the Lord has been working on my heart in this area, and he's done some good things. I believe that I much rather seek repentance and go down that path and go towards reconciliation than hold on to any kind of revenge. And why has this occurred? This has occurred because I've had many invitations from Jesus to go reconcile. And sometimes I take it, and sometimes I take the revenge. And I'll tell you, every time I've taken the revenge, there's still kind of something empty inside. Even when I've done a good revenge. Like, I've come up with a really sinister thing to do. And it's even good because no one knows I've done it. (laughs) And I walk away and I go, that just isn't quite enough. Which can either lead me down to the path of, I've got to be more sinister. This has got to be a worse revenge. This is going to be epic. Or I have to retreat into repentance and own up to what happened. But Jesus has been working on me because every time I have received that invitation of repentance, of reconciliation, I start to see his peace. And I believe the more you work out these things with relationships, we all have broken relationships, whether they're in your family or your friends or coworkers or go down the line. Some of them are small things. Some of them are big things. Some of them are things that you think cannot ever be repaired, can never be reconciled. We all have them. But the problem with revenge, when we go down that road, is it starts to destroy you from the inside out. I don't know how many of you watched the funeral proceedings for President George H.W. Bush this past week. But I often, and I tell the people that are apprenticing to be pastors here, I tell them to watch as many or listen to as many communicators as possible. Whether that is a news anchor or that is a poet or it is a songwriter or it is someone who is communicating truths or not so true, but they're doing it well, watch and learn. And I watched the eulogies of many people this past week, and I thought one of them stood out because it was really short, but really, really powerful. And he speaks particularly on this whole ministry of reconciliation and the power of it. And he also spoke about the opposite effect, what anger does. Alan Simpson said these words, hatred corrodes the container it's carried in. And I think as we go through a series about peace, 
this is a good word for us to remember. When we hate, we begin to corrode from the inside out. And I thought it was the best meme, simple statement, great imagery for us to remember. When we see those relationships that we go, I will not, I cannot, I don't want to reconcile. Remember these words from Alan Simpson. He's an old man. He doesn't care what people think. He just simply says it. And I definitely spoke to my heart. But the question comes to you, what do you do with those relationships where you actually did what the Lord asked you to do? Maybe you approached a friend that was kind of going down the wrong path and you said, come back. And they got mad. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but as a pastor, I get to do this often. I get to. Oftentimes, it's because someone comes up to me and goes, did you know that so-and-so has done da-da-da? And, and my normal response in the past was, oh, okay, so I'll take care of that. I'll go talk to the person. Now, the Lord has showed me some clarity. I go, well, have you talked to them? And I, I encourage them, you saw this. Why don't you go speak with them? I believe the Lord is speaking to you, not to me. But even then, we find ourselves in situations where the Lord says, you need to say something. Don't be quiet. Don't be the silent observer that gets to see destruction go on and you do nothing. Now, we think that that's butting in or being judgmental, but when it's from the Lord, people, it is his love occurring. When someone hasn't shown up for worship for a year and you call them and they're mad at you, because you called them and somehow said that they're not right, you're still asked to do that. When a family member is not treating people the way they should, you can either watch them do it or you can say, hey, there's a better way. Now that makes you the bad guy. Or the bad girl. But it doesn't mean that we should just idly stand by quietly while destruction goes on. In the story today, we see characters struggle with the truth. We see characters who, when approached by the truth, they don't want to see it. We see characters who would rather stay in denial or withdraw from a relationship instead of step into peace. And we see Jesus not bringing hatred or anger, but instead bringing peace. Let's take a look at the story. Thomas wasn't with the disciples when Jesus appeared to them. So they found him and said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's alive. 
That's impossible. To believe that, I'd have to feel the nail scars in his hands and touch his side where he was stabbed. Eight days later, Jesus suddenly appeared to the disciples, and Thomas was with them. The Lord said, Peace be with you. He turned to Thomas and said, Come and touch the scars on my hands and in my side. Stop questioning whether or not I'm alive. Thomas fell to his knees, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you see me. Blessed are those who won't see me, still they will believe. Sometime later, a few of the disciples were at the Sea of Galilee. Peter said to the others, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go too. They went out in a boat and fished all night, but didn't catch anything. In the dim of early morning, a man stood on shore and asked, have you caught any fish? No. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. They didn't. Suddenly the net was full of fish. John said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter heard this, he wrapped his clothes around him, jumped into the water, and swam for shore. The others came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. Once they got there, they saw Jesus cooking bread and fish over a fire. He turned and said, Bring me some more fish. Peter helped the others haul in the net, which had 153 large fish. Once everything was ready, Jesus said, Come and eat. They are gathered around, and he gave them bread and fish. When they were done eating, Jesus said, Simon, do you love me more than these? Peter was surprised by the question. Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my lambs. He asked a second time, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. A third time, Jesus asked the question, Simon, do you love me? Peter was grieved by this question. He had said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Then you are to feed my sheep. When you were young, you went wherever you wanted. But when you get old, someone else will take you where you don't want to go. This referred to how Peter's death would bring glory to God. Then Jesus said, follow me. So in the story, we hear about two characters, Thomas and Peter. Thomas, in this story, he is wrong. Not only is he wrong, but he has begun to harden his heart to the very testimony of those who are in it with him. Remember, when he's in this room, he's with the disciples, the band of brothers, the guys who have gone and walked with Jesus for the last couple of years. He's seen and been a witness to all these things, along with all these brothers. And not only does he not believe the words of Jesus, but he denies the very words of his friends. If you've ever been not believed by a friend, you know how it feels. When you've come up to someone and said, hey, this is what's happened, and they go, oh, I'm not believing you. How's that feel? It's like, thanks a lot. I see where we stand. You don't trust or believe anything I have to say. Which means, where is our relationship? I think the key of his heart, or the example that just kind of shouts out where his heart is right now for Thomas, is in verse 25. So the other disciples told him, this is to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, 
place my hand into his side. I will never, I will never believe. Thomas doesn't have peace. I mean, they're hiding in the room for a reason. They are frightened and scared, but Thomas is also hurt. Enough to where he has already put down that word, never. And you and I both know what happens when we start using the word never or always. We're wrong. (laughs) Thomas says, I will never, ever believe unless I do these things. Now, Jesus has a choice. He can either say, too bad for you, Thomas. You've already received everything you need to believe. But instead, he appears to him. Eight days later, but nonetheless, he appears to Thomas and and the disciples. In verses 26 and 27, it says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Everybody? You probably said it a little bit nice, like, Peace be with you. I don't think it's how Jesus said it. It's probably more like, peace be with you. You know, I think I think he had a little more pep to it. <laughs> then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put, your, put out your hand and place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Peace from Jesus is reconciliation with God. Peace with Jesus is believing in him. That's why I said believe. Just believe who I am. Believe what I've done. Believe that I have been resurrected. Believe that I died on the cross. Believe that you have sin that needs redemption. Believe that you need me. Believe in me. Peace from Jesus is reconciliation with God. Peace with Jesus is believing in him. So later in the story, we hear about Peter. And in John 21, 3, it says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So, Remember, this is all linked together. Thomas is here saying, I'll never believe. All we can tell is that Peter was there too. He saw all this happen. They're all in the room hiding. They received the peace from Jesus' lips himself. A few days later, Peter then is almost like he doesn't know what to do. It's like they forgot all the words that Jesus had said. They're just kind of wandering about the way I see it. Walking around going, so so yeah, he's raised from the dead. So now what do we do? Um, We kind of do that, don't we? We forget our relationship. And when we forget our relationship with Jesus, we forget our responsibility. 
they were given peace to give peace, but Peter almost acts as if he's just going to return to his normal life. And he doesn't do it by himself. He actually includes the others. Like, let's just go back to normal. Let's go fishing. Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. That was a few weeks ago, so we'll move on. It's kind of like what we do, right? We get really excited about Christmas, and we celebrate it. Yay! And then we move on with our regular life in January. And then sometime in April or March, we celebrate that he rose from the dead in Easter, and we invite our family and friends, sometimes. And we talk about how awesome it is. We go through the whole thing, and then May happens, and we, we move on. We go back to fishing, not discipling, but fishing. Remember, his words that Jesus gave to Peter was, lead my church. These were words, you are my rock, and you'll lead my church. Peter heard this. And then he just decided to just go fishing. Maybe there's more to it, but that's the way I see it. How often do we see this? That when our faith is tested, we start to withdraw instead of draw near. We hold on to the things that have happened. Now, Peter may have, this is a little bit of conjecture into the story, because I don't know this for sure. Perhaps he's holding on to the fact that he denied Jesus. Many theologians would say that Jesus asked him three times because Peter denied him three times. But we can't say that for sure. Was there probably an issue with the relationship? Yeah. And I think that's shown that he had forgotten his responsibility. Because when he's restored to the very responsibility that Jesus had asked him to do before this, feed my sheep, right? What does that say? Lead my church. Make disciples. Bring peace to those who don't have it through me. Don't just go fishing. When we forget our relationship with Jesus, we often forget our responsibility that he's given us. And quickly, our needs, our wants, our stuff, our life becomes way more important than the life of Jesus. Oftentimes, we forget that we have been given his peace to share it with others. And some of that has to do with we have relationships that are unpeaceful. Some of it has to do with there is chaos going on in our own life. And we haven't turned to Jesus to receive peace. Some of it is our own rebellion. That we know we can turn to Jesus, but we don't want to. Out of our own pride. Some of it has to do with our own insecurity about our relationship with Jesus. That we don't believe that his forgiveness will change it. Too often we seek everything but Jesus. 
And many of us who are Christian, we paint it over with, oh, I'm seeking Jesus, but I'm also doing this. Or I'm doing this, and oh, I'm kind of seeking Jesus. I'm going to go do this. And the best way to ask the question is, have you actually taken some time to sit with Jesus and ask him what to do? Or are you just telling him to make this make peace in my life? Jesus responds both to Thomas, and this is what I think he's inviting us into today. He responds both to Thomas and to Peter, not with anger, not with judgment, not with pointing a finger, although he does bring truth, but he responds with an invitation. With love, with patience and kindness, with another chance. He responds in a way that kind of reminds me, reminds me of his words that he gave a few days before this <coughs> that's recorded in John in chapter 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's how Jesus responds to us. In those moments when we're being too prideful, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You don't have to put up a front for everyone. Just come to me. And in those times that we're insecure, he goes, don't let your hearts be troubled. You're already everything you need to be. Because it all comes from me. You have nothing to prove. And he looks to us when we have to go out and say something to one of our brothers or sisters. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Let my truth stand. Believe it can change a heart. When you have the peace of Jesus, you can give peace. You guys believe that? When you have the peace of Jesus, you can give peace. Doesn't matter how bad someone has hurt you. Doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't mean they'll receive it. But you can still bring peace. There was a story that was on the Today Show this last week that I thought exemplified this perfectly. And we're going to kind of close down the message today by watching this, this brief story about two guys who had every reason in the world to not like each other. But instead, they chose peace. Let's take a look. You see, when we prefer to, we prefer to wait until we feel like forgiving. But if we do that, then our lives are dictated by us. At the fire department, we worked 24-hour shifts. And that particular day, we didn't get hardly any sleep. It was literally like three or four seconds to nod off and to cross the center line and, and to meet the other car. To forgive us, we don't think it's fair. 
Forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. I'm supposed to be a helper, the EMT and the paramedic and the fireman that, that helps in these tragic situations, and here I am, calls this. See, forgiveness makes us victorious. Two men of service, one a pastor, the other a rookie firefighter, forever bound in tragedy. For them, it's hard to believe over a decade has passed. I can still see it, I can still smell it, the horrendous noise and the glass breaking. When the grief counselor approached in the hospital, Eric Fitzgerald knew his wife, June, was gone leaving their 19-month-old daughter, Faith, without a mom. Faith's just sitting there playing on the little hospital bed with the, the nurse, and of course she sees me and just reaches out. I don't know what she understood, really, but she called into my lap, and she just went to sleep. And I was thankful, because uh, I didn't have to pretend that everything was okay. <clears throat> I was at the hospital and a police officer came in and he said, uh, I don't know if anyone's told you, but June didn't make it. And then he also told me, he said, and by the way, she was seven months pregnant and the baby didn't make it either. Eric, you had the opportunity to really say to the judge, you know what, I think this guy deserves some hard time. What did you do? I remember somebody said this in a, in a sermon. In moments where um, tragedy happens or, or even hurt, that there's opportunities to demonstrate grace or the exact vengeance, and I chose to demonstrate grace. The men knew of each other but endured their grief apart until the two-year anniversary of June's death. Matt Swatzel had stopped by the grocery store to buy a condolence card for Eric when he spotted him in the parking lot. Eric starts walking out of the grocery store and starts walking towards my truck. What do you see in the window? He was just, just bawling. Yeah. And um, so I just walked up and I just hugged him. Um, I mean, it, you know, what do you say? You know, something, sometimes things are best said with no words. That hug must have felt like someone had just put a pin in two years of pressure. That was the, uh, the biggest relief I'd ever felt. He just said from the start that he forgave me. And uh, just hearing him say those words, um, it just impacted my, my life completely. They talked for two hours that day. And where you might imagine the relationship would end. I said, man, I don't know what you're going to say to this. I said, but I just feel like in my spirit that I'm supposed to stay connected to you somehow. And he's like, dude, I feel the same way. We knew it was something special. We just had this instant bond. It's unexplainable. It's just easy to talk to each other. Man, look at that deliciousness. We would just talk about life, you know, just how we're doing and just moving forward. And he said, don't let this define you. Meeting with Eric, it gave me hope that we're going to be okay. Sports Illustrated, baby. As the years unfolded, strangers became friends and something even more. I'm witnessing a little bit of a miracle with you two sitting here together. There's a bond that we have um, that's unexplainable. He's like a big brother to me. You know, we have a lot of fun together, you know, as weird as it may sound and, and crazy, but we do. It's unique.
I can't say this is a beautiful story and it's got a great ending. It doesn't. It's nasty, it's real, and it's something that I'm going to struggle with for the rest of my life. Both men view their friendship as a sign from above. Another sign? Years later, Eric remarried and was expecting a child. The baby was born on the same due date as the son he'd lost. Forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. Eric practices what he preaches and raised his daughter Faith to choose love over anger. So next year, that means you gotta play varsity. Most likely. Yeah. I usually just say my mom got in a car accident. I just don't want people to think that Matthew's a bad person because he isn't, he just made a mistake. I just want her to know that she's loved. She's not alone. Dang it. <laughs> Throughout her whole life, I'll be there for her, no matter what. So just seeing Faith, you know, holding my kid, it puts a smile on my face. It hurts, but it's the cards that we were dealt, and, and now it's our story together. It reminds me that there's grace, and there's hope, and there's good. I mean, June's in heaven, you know, and one day, you know, we'll get to all kind of hang out. And so, you know, God's a big God, and uh, I think that's going to be a great day one day. within our relationships and instead of choosing anger may we choose love and peace and you guys know what this means it means that those things that are unpeaceful right now they might be small or they may be large do something about it write a letter make sure that you are a peace bringer not someone that holds on to anger let go of it. Don't let the anger corrode this beautiful container that the Lord has made to bring peace, not hate. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to look at your word, to look at your stories about Peter and Thomas. We know that we have many examples in our own lives where you could come and rebuke us and remind us that we are not following your ways. We are so thankful that in those stories where there should be a huge rebuke, you do so, but you do so with love, with a huge invitation to live life differently. Lord, I pray that where there is unforgiveness in our heart, that we would be willing to forgive. Lord, I pray that as we engage in our relationships over Christmas, that we would appreciate each and every one of those relationships. And as we do, we'd see a glimpse of how you see us. That no matter where we stand with you today, if we walked in as an unbeliever of who Jesus is, that we would hear that invitation to believe. And Lord, if we are a believer, but we have doubts, that you would remind us that even within our doubts, you are there speaking to us, peace be with you and that we would believe 
And if we are strong today in our belief, Lord, we pray that you would give us courage to not just hold that into ourselves, but we would instead bring peace to those who need peace. That we'd have courage to do the things that you're asking us to do. That we would not just hold it to ourselves and not say who you are, but we would speak out with our action and our words that you are the Christ, the one who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.